This podcast is recorded on the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Coquitlam peoples. British Columbia, I've seen your mountains high, seen your pretty rainbows and your blue crystal skies, watched your winding rivers as they flow around the bend. To me, you're not a stranger, you'll always be a friend. Coming to you from the West Coast, this is Politicos. Today is May 10th, 2023. I'm Ian Bushfield, and joining me today is our special guest, Dave Cornway. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're joining us from Edmonton, correct? Yes, from uh, from recently rained on Edmonton. Thank goodness, recently rained on. Yeah, I'm looking at our forecast here, and we have a full 10 plus days of sunny weather getting into the low 30s, which is not good. But no. at least my province isn't well entirely on fire. Yeah, well, I hear there's some. I hear. Well, anyway, I, hear I hear there's some flooding going going on in the going on in the interior. And I shouldn't laugh about that, but but uh, on the other side of the Rockies here in Alberta, it's been a very hot, dry, and windy spring. We had the uh, very early melt, and there was basically no runoff, no moisture left after uh, after the uh, all the snow melted. And then starting last week, we were, had temperatures up into the 30s, and we've had a little bit of rain here in Edmonton. But Edmonton isn't where the wildfires are. We have these wildfires raging in the in northern Alberta and northwest Alberta and and uh you know more than 30,000 people have been evacuated from their homes so it's quite uh, quite a substantial uh emergency happening in in uh, in a number of parts in parts of Alberta which which has had a, a big big impact on the uh, on the election campaign because of course we're a week and a half we're in week 2 of uh, of Alberta's provincial election campaign yeah and that's what we're here to talk about not quite the weather and states of emergency <laughs> as they uh, arise, but I guess we will probably get into climate change a little bit and what people are going to do or not do about it. Uh, kind of a special episode this week. Scott's away, so I figured we'd jump in on Alberta. The big story here in BC is around there's a new report, uh, inquiry into BC housing's conflict of interest. Uh, we won't get into that because you probably know nothing about that, but the too long didn't read it is that. Uh, it was a messy situation where the CEO of BC Housing was married to the uh, CEO of one of the largest nonprofit uh, housing providers, and there was a the firewalls set up to prevent conflicts arising. There didn't seem as airtight as they needed to be, and so there's a lot of allegations of mismanagement and corruption of passing money from the public housing provider to a nonprofit. And wow, yeah, it's messy. It's unclear who's really to blame. Uh, the nonprofit is not taking any responsibility. They're like, we love our CEO. BC Housing had already had its board and CEO fired by the premier when he was housing minister, um, but still ongoing fallout. So I'll get into that next week, maybe with a different guest while Scott's still away. But we're going to talk about Alberta. You've been covering Alberta politics for a long time. Before we get into the Alberta election, uh, for people who want to support this show, patreon.com slash Dave, do you have a Patreon or somewhere people can support you? I, I don't have a Patreon, but I do have a Substack. So if uh, anybody who's listening, your your great listeners, want to follow along on uh, on up to my uh, Alberta election columns uh, and general Alberta politics columns, because it, Alberta politics is guaranteed to continue to be interesting and maybe even more interesting after the provincial election, uh, they can follow at uh, daveberta.substack.com. And uh, I most of my most of my columns that I post on Substack are, are free to all my readers, but I do provide extras uh, for paid subscribers, and paid subscribers get access to the uh, the much listened to Dave Berta podcast. Yeah, I've been following you on and off since I was in undergrad, and we were both at the University of Alberta, and you had the Dave Berta blog spot, and it's just evolved yep. over the yeah. years. <laughs> But let's talk about this Alberta election. And so, for our listeners who may not be fully aware, they probably remember Jason Kenney won this landslide in 2019, unseating the one term of Rachel Notley, who won against a divided right. Ironically, Daniel Smith in that election came in as the official opposition, was it? No, no was she third? 
No, Dan- Danielle Smith uh, was no. leader of the official opposition. She was leader. Okay, this is we're gonna go a little, little, just a little bit back in the weeds. I'm not gonna go too far back, but going back to give your listeners the context of Alberta politics. Up until 2015, Alberta had had 44 years of uninterrupted majority conservative, progressive conservative government. So that was, uh, I think they won 12 majority government, 12, 12 elections in a row, big, usually big majority governments. And then the, the political right starts to split around 2008, 2009. There's a big review around oil, oil and gas royalties. And some of the, you know, smaller oil and gas companies start to split off from the progressive conservative fold. The social conservatives start to split off of of what they believe is becoming a more moderate and a more urban progressive conservative party. And along comes Danielle Smith, who's kind of been around in Alberta politics, working for different groups like the Fraser Institute, like the Canadian Federation for Independent Business. She was a right-wing columnist with the Calgary Herald. Um, and she comes along and runs for the leadership of this new party called the Wilders Alliance Party, which had kind of been around under different party names for a while. But it was that, 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 that at that point, its latest iteration was the Wildrose Party. She won won the leadership in 2009. Ed Stelmack was the premier of Alberta, the progressive conservative, conservative leader at the time. And she becomes the leader of the official opposition in the next election. There's been, there were a couple of floor crossings, a couple of PCMLAs who came over a, a by-election that, that the Wild Rose Party had won. And then Ed Selmack gets turfed by the right PCs. Allison Redford becomes premier and leader of the PC party and then goes on to, to run against Danielle Smith in 2012. It's a very close election throughout the campaign. The polls suggested it was very close. Some people thought there, there was a real mood for change at that point. People were starting to get a little tired of the PCs and and people were starting to feel like, well, maybe this Daniel Smith character, maybe she's the right person, you know, but they weren't quite sure. And going into the last week of the 2012 election, there's a, or the last couple of weeks, there's a huge blowout from a, with a number of Wildrose Alliance candidates who are revealed to have said, uh, incredibly outrageous things. These are like social conservative candidates. One candidate who claimed to have a Caucasian advantage because he was a white guy running in a in a riding in Northeast Calgary that had a large, very large immigrant population. Um, and then another candidate in Edmonton who uh, was a pastor and d- had delivered a sermon saying that that uh, um, LGBTQ folks would burn and spend eternity burning in a lake of fire. Um, you know, Albertans are. Conservative in that they are tax averse. So they're not traditionally, they're not like, most Albertans aren't social conservatives. We just don't really like having to pay taxes for our great services in Alberta because for so long we've been able to rely on big oil and gas royalties uh, to fill government coffers. Um, So the social conservative stuff doesn't really sit well with a lot of Albertans and it didn't then. So Danielle Smith didn't end up winning the election in 2012, even though the polls suggested that, uh, that it would be close. Couple of years later, she's in it. She's still the leader of the official opposition after 2012. Allison Redford is kicked out of kicked out of out of office as premier. Jim Prentice becomes premier, and what does Danielle Smith do? She crosses the floor from being the leader of the Wild Rose op- official opposition, and she takes about eight or nine of the Wild Rose MLAs with her to join the Progressive Conservative Caucus. Well, this didn't particularly sit well because people were already not happy with the PCs because of all the scandals that had happened under Alison Redford during her time as premier. And the PCs were trying to reinvent themselves under Jim Prentice. They go into this election. The Wildrose Party has a couple MLAs with a former MP named Brian Jean comes in and runs and becomes leader of the Wildrose Party about five minutes before the 2015 election is called. Uh, Danielle Smith actually loses the PC nomination in her riding. She had tried to run for the PCs in 2015 after crossing the floor. She lost the nomination and then doesn't run. Um, and then right at the kind of the, the, you know, timing is everything in politics. And it was the perfect moment for the NDP who had kind of had very, you know, been this kind of tiny party in, in, in Alberta. They'd always, you know, they'd gotten, they were in official opposition in the eighties, but since the nineties, they'd won two or four seats. They were Edmonton based. They really didn't have much support outside the core of the city. Um, but they elected a new leader named Rachel Notley. And Notley really had it. And, you know, when you see the it in politics, like she really, she was, a, she's, she's a spectacular uh, campaigner. She, she's very, she's whip smart. She's uh, very relatable. And she marched into that campaign 
and the NDP skyrocketed in the polls. And, you know, the, the 20, 2015 election, you know, that the NDP ended up winning a majority government and defeating the PCs after 44 years in government, it was really a, f- a combination of the NDP doing really well and Rachel Notley, you know, knocking the socks off of Albertans who were, who were, who were watching her campaign. And Jim Prentice and the PCs running probably the worst political campaign I've ever seen a government run. So it was a real combination. Like the, the NDP did really well in 2015, but the PCs really met them halfway. And, you know, there was a vote split because the Wild Rose Party under Brian Jean, they formed official opposition after 2015. The PCs were decimated. Um, but th- th- there was a v- vote split, but I, I'm, I, I, there's a lot of talk about how it was a right wing vote split that let the NDP won. I don't really believe that. I think that when you look at the tone of that particular election and what what the big questions were, it was a change election. And if you look at the polling, some of the polling that came out after 2015, there were some pollsters that asked asked voters who their second choice vote would have been. Um, and you look at the Wild Rose Party voters in 2015, who you'd think, if you vote Wild Rose, you're right wing, your second choice is probably going to be PC. No, the largest number of second choice votes, the, the, the percentage of second choice votes for Wild Rose voters was the NDP. Because it wasn't about left versus right, it was about change. And people in their ridings were looking and saying, it's time to boot the PCs. Who's the best candidate in my riding? Is it the NDP candidate or is it the, P- or the Wild Rose candidate? Who has a better chance of winning? So that, yeah, that so, takes us you know through quite quite an important time and it's worth actually going through that cuz i forget all of the uh fun times that i've missed since i moved away from alberta when it was just the boring era that you mentioned and so jim prentice uh resigns after he uh fails in that election jason kenny runs on this unite the right strategy and brings mm-hmm. the pcs and the wild rose together you know, builds this juggernaut, Notley struggles with the culture of the province, I think, and trying to also fit mm-hmm. that government, uh, both their ambitions, but also the pragmatic realities. And the UCP, you know, as I mentioned, gets this dominant win in 2019, with the NDP still staying a respectable size. Like you mentioned, they were two to four seats, had been official opposition once, but it wasn't like a big opposition. It was... Yeah, the 16 seats so, before in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, so they're a real party yeah. now, right? It's a two-party province, and Kenny Kenny had a rough time. Uh, and I think the way I viewed it is he faced that division between the social conservatives and the economic libertarian conservatives who are socially liberal, and with COVID breaking everyone's brains, he couldn't decide whether he needed to be more restrictive and follow, you know, clamp down on it more or much less restrictive. And he basically tried to chart a middle path that left no one happy and he got stabbed in the back by everyone, it looked like. That, that I think that's probably that's I mean that's a that's a good description of of what happened. I mean when he when Jason Kenney kind of forced merged the progressive conservatives and the Wild Rose Party, the whole point or to create the United Conservative Party, the whole goal was to defeat the NDP in 2019, and they did that spectacularly. They won a big majority government, um, but after they formed government in 2019. All those things that the PC party, the old PC party and the old Wild Rose party didn't like about each other, they still didn't like about each other, but they were in the same party now. So there was, there were a lot of kind of internal divisions and Kenny for a while was able to, was able to, you know, bridge those divides. I don't want to say mend those divides because I don't think they've ever really been mended, but he was able to, to build this coalition. Um, COVID really, you know, Took the wind out of that and really, um, really amplified a lot of the of the divisions in 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 the UCP caucus and the UCP party or the UCP, the United Conservative Party. But it wasn't just that; there were a whole bunch of other things that Kenny was doing at the same time that that uh, that the youth, kind of things that they they had the UCP had started um, at the beginning of their term that they continued through COVID that were univ- almost universally unpopular across Alberta. And I'm talking about things like. Uh, open, allowing open pit coal mining in the Rocky Mountains, which created a huge revolt, especially in Southwest Alberta, from a lot of rural uh, rural politicians and small town politicians and long time, you know, many generations of ranchers and um, 
and uh, you know country music stars like Cor Blund and Paul Brandt, like who who spoke out against this to say, you know, what, this is a really bad idea. Um, but the government seemed to didn't really want to back down back down on it. And you know, I mean, Albertans, you know, if there's one thing that you know Albertans can agree, we love, and one thing we bra- one of the things we brag about, it's our it's the Rocky Mountains here in Alberta, that you know, our Rocky Mountain parks, which we which we love. Um, the other thing was that they started early off on was trying to sell and privatize or privatize and close about 180 provincial parks. And these were kind of these things very unpopular. And it was interesting because that was kind of one of the first sparks that really lit across Alberta against the UCP. And the um, CPAWS and a number of other groups joined together to create this Defend Alberta Parks campaign. And they launched lawn sign, a lawn sign campaign. And there were lawn signs everywhere. You could go to any neighborhood in almost any any town or city in the province. And, you know, whether it was a working class neighborhood, whether it was a, you know, an upper middle class or a ritzy neighborhood, you're probably going to see a couple Defend Alberta Park signs because it was something that that crossed, it was an issue that crossed socioeconomic and political divides. Um, everybody could agree, we, you know what, we love our mountains and we love our parks. And that's, you know, then that was, those were two things that, that really early on, um, uh, Jason Kenney really, really took on and, um, and his government took on and created a lot of enemies of people who would traditionally probably be conservative allies early on in his early on. And there's a number of examples of this. There's the curriculum issues, there's fighting with doctors and nurses going on throughout the pandemic. So when Jason Kenney's back was really at the wall at the, you know, at, at about, about 2022, middle of 2022, beginning of 2022, um, he didn't have that natural group of allies that otherwise, you know, may not be normally partisan, but may or may not be normally in the conservative tent, but would 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 lend themselves to support a you know a conservative cause or a conservative premier because they self-identify as being conservative, but they they alienated so many so many allies at that point. So that's kind of I think the overview of this the story of that. And and I mean part of it was was COVID. The groups that we see now coming out in the in, or have have come out and um, started really taking over the United Conservative Party, groups like Take Back Alberta that emerged from uh, opposition to COVID restrictions and the blockade at the Coots border um, that was kind of our version of the occupation of Ottawa uh, here in Alberta. There was a, a group of anti-COVID um, restrictions protesters that blocked the uh, the border crossing from Coots, um, Alberta to Sweetgrass, Montana for I don't know weeks on end during at the same time as the uh, as the occupation of Ottawa was happening. Yeah, and we don't need to go through the whole messy process that led to Jason Kenney losing his job, but he lost his job in like the most ugly way you can in politics with the whole oh, like, yeah. party bringing him down and just like a few people on the inside trying to cling. Uh, out of that comes a leadership race, and Daniel Smith takes that fairly handily, I believe, or was is it close to the end? She right, took it, it on the sixth ballot. Yeah. It wasn't. It, it it was closer than kind of ever. If you were watching the campaign, um, you know there was a kind of a front runner or like an establishment favorite by the a man, a man by the name of Travis Taves, who is uh, up from up from uh, I think he's up from Beaver Lodge, which is not not far from Grand Prairie. Um, and he was the finance minister under Jason Kenney's in Jason Kenney's government. He's a rancher, accountant. He was head of the uh, I think the the Cattlemen's Association here in Alberta, Alberta for a while. Really, very well known. Uh, you know, seemed like a reasonable conservative type. The establishment immediately start you know lined up behind him. He had more MLAs endorse him than any other candidate. Uh, he looked like the front runner, which is kind of in in le- conservative leadership races in Alberta. Being the front runner is kind of being the kiss is the kiss of death almost. Yeah, the members don't like <laughs> um, them. <laughs> because it's usually an no. So Daniel Smith runs, and there's a whole bunch of other candidates who from who are cabinet and who are MLAs who who jump in and um. Danielle Smith runs, and she'd been since leaving politics, elected office in 2015. Uh, she had hosted a radio show, which was like the the on um, uh, QR77 in uh, in Calgary, which is like the the big talk radio talk radio chorus radio talk radio station in in Calgary. And she'd been on that show for a number of years. I'd I'd been a guest on her show. She had me on a number of times to talk about politics, and she's really good. She's really good on the radio. Um, and it really, you know, it's kind of natural at that, at that kind of thing. And, um, uh, but when COVID happened, she kind of fell, t- started taking more extreme positions and he, you know, playing with the anti-COVID restrictions crowd, talking about, uh, 
uh, is it hydrochloroquine? Like, uh, you know, pseudo medication, pseudo cures for COVID that were going around, all these kind of, you know, scams that were going around, going around on the internet. Um, and then she left, left, uh, chorus and became, um, CEO or president of a group called the Alberta Enterprise Group. And this is kind of like a right-leaning business uh, association lobby group kind of thing. Um, so she'd been around and at that point she started, she'd been kicking her, she started kicking around more in political circles and she had a very popular email newsletter that she put out. And over her time as a radio host, she's, she'd curated uh, a following and I think that political types in Alberta really miss under or underestimated her because if you're if you were a political type you I mean you listened to her radio show and you you know you may have gone on it but you were you really remembered the floor crossing and the betrayal that conservatives felt uh during that period in 2014 2015 um but a lot of them had forgiven her and she'd built a base of support especially over the pandemic um for her criticisms of covid restrictions uh and that group showed up for her in droves in the UCP leadership race. And during the leadership race, she really honed in and laser focused on two key issues, two key points. One was um, dissatisfaction in opposition to the COVID restrictions and how the provincial government had handled it and how Jason Kenney had handled COVID and uh, anger at Ottawa. So Justin Trudeau. And she'd really those two issues. She really honed in, and it resonated with 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 conserv with with a, a group of uh, conservative voters in this province who showed up to support her in the leadership race. And she was the only candidate who really felt like had she had any momentum. And you really could tell at a certain point in the UCP leadership campaign that she was the only candidate with momentum because Daniel Smith would put out a press release or make a statement or put out a tweet. And then, you know, an hour later or uh, the next day, all the other candidates were talking about the same issue. So she really sucked up all the oxygen and the other candidates were trying to push their issues, but there was really no interest and they weren't able to get any, any real momentum on any, any other issue. Um, so that kind of propelled her into, into the pre- into the UCP leadership and into the premier's office. And I mentioned earlier a group called Take Back Alberta. And that group, which is playing a role in this election campaign, um, played a big role in defeating Kenny in the leadership race, or probably the leadership review that saw him booted out, um, and played a big role in helping Danielle Smith win the UCP leadership race. They also have been mobilizing their supporters to go out and uh, show up at UCP annual general meetings, at constituency meetings. They uh, There's a slate of candidates that they supported. One um, uh, took over half the positions on the UCP provincial board uh, last year. Uh, they're aiming to take over the other half this fall uh, at the next AGM. And they've taken over a number of constituency associations and helped uh, elect a number of, uh, nominated a number of UCP candidates in a number of ridings across across Alberta. And this is, as I said before, this is a group that was really formed, morphed out of opposition to COVID restrictions, morphed out of the the Coots border blockade. Um, I encourage your listeners to take a listen to uh, two or take a take a read of two articles that have recently been written. Jason Markusoff wrote, wrote a real deep dive on Take Back Alberta um, for the CBC, and Jeremy Appel um, wrote one as well for Jacobin Magazine. Um, and if you Google those, um, I'm sure you, I'm sure you can find them. Um, but it, but it gives, yeah, I'll put them I'll put them in the show notes. Yeah, it gives you an idea of how radical these groups are in terms of like they're they're, they're viewing what they're doing and they're you know they're taking over the United Conservative Party as kind of a it's almost a religious crusade. Um, so it's very it's a very different type of conservatism than that a lot of Albertans are used to and. Um, it's creating a lot of divisions within the UCP and whether the UCP wins this election on May 29th or loses the election, there's going to be a, uh, a lot of things that the UCP is going to have to sort out internally. And there's going to be a lot of divisions internally, um, uh, trying to figure out between the moderates and the more radicals. Yeah. Uh, and before we really get into how the UCP and NDP are positioning against each other in this election, I want to touch on the other parties that are out there because once upon a time, as you know, because I believe you were involved in it, there was a Liberal Party of Alberta. Uh, there, yeah, I used to work for the. I worked for the Liberals when they were official opposition in the uh, in the mid two thousands, early and mid two thousands. Uh, they are now almost pr- practically practically speaking yeah, non-existent here in Alberta. Are, right now. I see on Wikipedia you would know the exact number seventeen candidates nominated. There's a Alberta yeah. Party. It had elected one or two in the past, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, they're not nominated. Yeah, the Alberta Party. Yeah, the Al- 
Yeah, the Alberta Party had uh, elected an MLA in 2015, and then they had a, there were a couple floor crossers, one from the UCP and one from the NDP, but they all lost their seats in the 2019 election. And they have a leader who means well and who's a good guy and who'd probably be, probably be a good MLA, a guy by the name of Barry Morishita, who's the former mayor of Brooks, but he's running against Daniel Smith, who's the MLA for that for oh, that no. area. <laughs> so he's probably not going to get elected. And we, you know, we've turned into such a we've turned into a it's a very divided two party race uh, in Alberta right now, and there's just it doesn't seem like there's any room for a third party to really break through. So I'm I it's the next legislature, unless something big happens in the next two and a half weeks, which you know sometimes it does in in in, uh, in elections. Uh, I, I expect that it'll, there'll be uh, only UCP and NDP MLAs in the next 100%. legislature. Yeah, I see the Green Party is doing better than probably they ever have they they're no longer the evergreen party which was the funny period of time when they had lost their registration i think they had to pick a different name um yes there's yes. also two new parties the wild rose loyalty coalition led by paul hinman and the solidarity <laughs> movement of alberta led by pastor arthur oh polowski yes. um yes. what's going on there they're yeah, nuts they're- but <laughs> they well they're, they these are these are extreme you know Alberta has kind of a cottage industry of you know s- small uh fringe right wing parties at any given time we have about you know five or six of them floating out out there nominating candidates making noise but you know they never come close to electing any candidates or never really um, get it, get any traction uh, for the most part um Paul Hinman who's now leading the Wild Rose Loyalty Coalition is the former leader of the Wild Rose Alliance Party. He's who Daniel Smith took over the Wild Rose Alliance Party from back in 2009. And he's also, more recently, and I can, I can tell this is, I, I, I understand how this is getting confusing. He's also the former leader of the Wild Rose Independence Party. Who, who are also still in existence. Who are also still in exi- existence. And they kicked him out as leader last year. And uh, and then he went around and formed this other party, this Wild Rose. So I liked some. I was joking around with someone the other day that it's like, it's like, you know how you have the Communist Party and then the Communist Party brackets Marxist Leninist? Well, in Alberta, you have the Wild Rose Party brackets independence and the Wild Rose Party brackets loyalty, <laughs> loyalty coalition. Um, and the, uh, the Wild Rose Loyalty Coalition, they've named. 40 or 50 some candidates, 54 candidates. Um, most of these candidates are names on ballots. If you look through the list of names, it's people with similar surnames running in different parts of the province. It's friends, you know, Paul Hinman has proved that he has 54 friends, friends and family. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, but in, in some close races, it's going to be interesting because some of these candidates, especially, I'm interested to see what Arthur Pulowski, Pastor Pulowski does. Now, if for for there's no reason why people in British Columbia would know who this guy is. Uh, he is a radical street preacher from Calgary. He is uh, uh, he got in a lot of trouble during the uh, during the COVID pandemic for breaking restrictions and encouraging people to break restrictions. He I think he was actually charged for inciting. I, I don't want to say I don't know what the charge was, but he was charged for something for, at the from the Coots convo, the Coots blockade. Um, he called on. You know when the the convoy blockaders had negotiated. Uh, I think when they negotiated uh, with the RCMP to leave, he encouraged them to stay and and defy the police. And um, you know he's very much on that extreme right wing um, edge of conservatism. And he was the leader of the Independence Party of Alberta up until, up until earlier this year, uh, which is a separatist party. Um, and he, he took over that party last year and moved it more to become more of a Christian COVID opposition party. Um, and they kicked him off out as leader. And he's gone over and now started his own new party, which has just been recognized by Elections Alberta as a party. And these parties are going to get like 0.1% of the vote. Um, but what's going to be interesting is in some close races, especially in Calgary, where, you know, where it's, there's expected to be, there's a number of seats where that could be very close between the UCP and the NDP, because Calgary is where the NDP really need to win seats in order to form government. That's their, that's a big part of their path to victory, um, to winning a majority. If you have these smaller conservative parties that are able to peel off 20, 50, a hundred votes in some close races from the UCP candidate, the, the votes that might have gone otherwise gone to the UCP candidate, uh, that could make the difference in terms of uh, who forms government on May twenty. Yeah, the uh, I just had it open 
for the fact check. Uh, Pulowski was charged with mischief, breaching a release order, and he was charged under the Critical Infrastructure Defense Act, which was oh, Jason yes. Kenney's uh, Don't Protest Pipelines bill. And so it's just hilarious to point out that like one of the major cases of this was a right-wing guy and not a left-wing uh, land mm-hmm. defender. But we don't need to talk anymore about uh, those groups. So we're moving into this election. The big issue, as far as I can read it in Alberta right now, are things like uh, healthcare. Uh, healthcare. <laughs> Is there anything else yeah. on the issue? Yeah, I th- like what are people? I, I think. I mean, yeah, I think generally. I mean, we look at what the parties have been talking about and, and what. What what people have been talking about during his campaign? I mean, it's healthcare. Healthcare is the big issue coming out of the COVID pandemic. We've had, uh, you know, we have significant problems with the shortages of nurses, shortages of doctors, huge emergency room wait times going into the double digits in children's hospitals, especially um, rural hospitals having to shut down their emergency rooms, having to shut shut down their operation or their or their operating rooms because they don't have doctors or they don't have nurses on to to, to like actually just don't have people. Um, leaving huge gaps in the healthcare system, surgery backlogs, et cetera. Um, so uh, healthcare is is probably the number one issue in this campaign so far. Um, issues like affordability are an issue. Um, utility bills have been skyrocketing. Insurance bills have been skyrocketing. The price of groceries. I mean, this is, this is not an Alberta unique unique thing to Alberta. The price of groceries is is is, is insane in some places. Um, so general affordability issues. Are, uh, are 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 top of mind as well, and you've seen the parties try to cater um, or try cater to those issues during during this campaign. Education is something that the NDP have been focusing on a lot, and uh, it's a really big change from four years ago when uh, you know the biggest issues were uh, oil were, were pipelines. Pipelines were was was one of the biggest issues four years ago in the in the election. It took up. It's a remarkable. Um, how for how many years pipelines they suck it sucked up so much mm-hmm. oxygen in Alberta politics you basically couldn't talk about anything else but oil pipelines and now no one's talking about pipelines no one's really talking about oil and gas i mean the the price of oil is is pretty high royalties are rolling in not all the jobs have come back and that's because the last oil boom was really really a construction boom up north and all those big plants are built um so a lot of the jobs didn't come back but a lot of people have left or done other things or, you know, are waiting for the next oil boom. Um, but it's interesting to see the NDP of, under Rachel Notley, they've really reinvented themselves since 2019. Um, they took a big hit in 2019, uh, especially in Calgary, especially in rural Alberta. Um, but going into this election, they're really they're very they appear to be very competitive in Calgary. They've nominated uh uh probably a stronger slate of candidates than they ever have in Calgary. They're probably better prepared to 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 go into this election than they've ever been. They're they're flush with cash. Um well both par- both parties are, but the NDP especially over the past couple of years have had, you know, part in part to Jason Kenney's unpopularity, uh been wildly successful at fundraising um and uh, like small donations corporate and union donations are are banned in um in alberta so it's all individual donations um and um uh they're competitive in calgary all of a sudden um well not all of a sudden but really over the past uh, past couple of years but that's not something that was really the really the case in previous elections you know the ndp had already had in 2015 and even 2019 kind of floated around 30 percent of the vote um, but going into this election, they're they're sitting in the you know low to mid forties, basically where the UCP is too. Um, so they're actually competitive. Nate Notley's positioned herself and her party as a moderate, moderate. I want to say moderate conservative party, but really much as a as a kind of a, a successor to the progressive conservative big tent is really what they're doing. Um, they've nominated a slate of candidates in Calgary. Uh, people, it's you know, it's not your grandfather's NDP. You know, there's not many shop stewards or or you know activist types. There's uh, you know a former president of a uh, economic Development Association. There's uh, energy analysts. There's lawyers. There's former city councilors. Um, you know, pe- business people. People who wouldn't traditionally be, at least in Alberta, wouldn't traditionally be under the NDP banner. Um, but uh, but under Rachel Notley's NDP going into this election, um, they're really trying to. They've really put a conscious effort into recruiting moderate candidates who would appeal to a broader group of Calgarians whose votes that the NDP needs to win those seats in this election. Do you think 
with this strategy that the NDP are taking, they risk losing the base they had in 2015 and like the core support, like much of that is in Edmonton where they ran the table so high that they're not in trouble. But I do wonder how much of a hit they'll take on turnout of that kind of voter base. Or are those people just motivated by the let's get Daniel Smith out and do some harm reduction in voting? I think, I, yeah, I think the latter. I mean, there are new Democrats. Um, there are, there are actual leftists in Alberta, um, who, uh, you know, who are unhappy with the NDP being coming a moderate party, becoming, and, you know, a lot of them were unhappy about the NDP when the NDP were in government going back to 20, 2015 to 20, 2019, because the NDP did tack, pardon me, did tack to the center, um, on quite a few issues, um, or didn't tack far left enough that, you know, actual leftists would, would make actual leftists happy. Um, but those groups, I mean, they haven't gone out to organize an, another leftist party. So, I mean, most of them, you know, it's the, some of them, you know, might not vote or might vote for the Green Party or the, the Communist Party of Alberta, if, you, if you're in one of the three ridings of the Communist Party candidate. Um, but uh, but from, for the most part, I think they'll probably vote NDP in this election. I mean, what happens after this election will be interesting. If the, you know, if the NDP win, um, then that's a different ballgame because then they're, uh, you know, they're, they're in government and there's, you know, the ability, the uh, push to, to, to stay behind the, stay behind the party. If the NDP don't win uh, the election, then, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Is Rachel Notley going to remain leader? What does a post Notley Alberta NDP look like? She really is a, uh, a huge she's the center of the NDP brand in this province and it's her popularity that has really carried this part the party to be where it is today yeah i was just thinking about turnout and it's looking at the last few elections and it's varied so widely 2008 was down to like 40% uh it yeah. jumped into the mid high 50s for the next few including 29 uh 2015 when notley won then it jumps to 67.5% in 2019 uh, which yep. is this wild uh, competitive nature. Do you have a sense on like I, I, where we're going this year? I think it'll be a high turnout. I think it'll be similar to the last election in the, the 60s. Um, I think that they're, you know, New Democrat voters are motivated to get out and vote and to get Daniel Smith out of the premier's office. And UCP voters are motivated. Well, they're, some UCP motiv- voters are motivated the the UC they're motivated to keep Rachel Notley out. They're not necessarily motivated to keep Danielle Smith in the premier's office. So that's going to be interesting to see. I'm interested to see, I'm actually interested to see how motivated UCP voters are um, outside from the kind of activist the kind of activist base that is that is excited about Danielle Smith. Yeah, it's such a great sign for democracy when everyone's coming out to vote to stop the other guy and not because they actually see something they want on offer. Yeah, but I, I think that <laughs> I'm being a I think bit cynical that there's. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. I mean that you're, you're. I mean you're right. There's definitely a, you know, a, a, a motivation to get the other side out or keep the keep the other side out. But I think there's, you know, the two parties. As much as the NDP has tacked to the center on a lot of issues, I think there are. I mean, the UCP has tacked so far to the right on some issues that there are some fundamentally different visions for the province between the two parties. It's not like. This isn't like the Liberal Party and the Progressive Conservative Party of Nova Scotia, where they're basically the same party, yeah. basically politically the same thing, right? Um, this is not to pick on Nova Scotia, but um, you know these aren't two moderate parties. I mean, the UCP under Danielle Smith has a very different vision. I mean, she's talked about stuff like enshrining the rights of people, you know, who don't want to get vaccinated. Like talking in terms of like she described people who refuse to get vaccinated for COVID-19 as the most persecuted group in her, of her, you know, of her time, of her generation, which is, you know, mind bogglingly, you could think that, but, you know, we've seen those kind of comments repeated. We've seen podcasts and other interviews come up over the past couple of weeks where she's basically, she basically had said the same thing, you know, in 2021 and 2022. Um, so I think that there's, you know, there is a, there are two different, Visions, I think you know, mm-hmm. in, ter- in terms of the types of government and the types of politics that th- these two political leaders will pursue. Yeah, it kind of, I mean, in many ways, it's kind of like the uh, 2016 U.S. election, where you have like Trump and Hillary Clinton positing like clearly different paths for America, uh, 
and one is able to get away with saying the wildest shit and apparently still become president. And I hope that's not as true in Alberta, where I still like marvel over the fact that like those stories came out in the first few months of Daniel Smith's uh, time as premier, where it became pretty clear she doesn't understand what the powers of a premier are. Like she was trying to, uh, apparently had promised to put pressure on the prosecutors to grant uh, or to stop charges for, was it Arthur Pulowski himself? It was <laughs> Arthur Pulowski. Yes, I know. It's Alberta politics is a flat circle, so, right? It's a- <laughs> let's, let's come back to one of the issues that has come up. Tell me about the Saddle Dome. Yes. So, so the Calgary Flames have been trying to get a new arena and uh, the Calgary Flames owned by a billionaire and Marie Edwards, um, who owns CNRL. It's a big oil and gas company um, uh, based in Calgary. Um, he's an extremely wealthy person. I think he actually still lives. I think he actually lives in London now. Um, I'm not sure if he's moved back to them. When he, when the NDP formed government, formed government, he moved to London and it was, it was, you know, framed as moving to London to get away from the NDP. It was probably moving to London because there are more billionaires, billionaire friends who lived in, lived in London and London's probably a great city to live in if you're a billionaire. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if he actually moved back to Calgary, but he owns the Calgary Flames. And um, uh, they've been trying to negotiate a deal with the city of Calgary to split funding on a new arena. Because of course, the reason why, the big reason why billionaires own professional sports teams has less to do with the professional sports team and more to do with the real estate spinoffs and everything that goes on around the arena at the same time. Um, so they'd been trying to negotiate a deal with the city of Calgary. There was one, I think it was last year, but it fell apart over, I think there was like a $30 million gap in a disagreement and the whole deal fell apart. Um, this is was right after um, Jody Gondek became mayor of Calgary in 2021. So then the first week of the election campaign starts in Alberta and what was one of the first big announcements that it was either the first week of the campaign or it was right before the election started. I think it might have been right before the election campaign was the election was called, so last week of April. Uh Daniel Smith comes out and announces that they'd reached a new deal for a deal for a new arena for the Calgary Flames at a new big entertainment district, and that not this wasn't just going to be a deal between the Calgary Flames and the city of Calgary, but the province of Alberta was going to put in hundreds of millions of dollars into into the deal. And the the way they framed it was that the province would be paying for some of the infrastructure around the arena. So they wouldn't actually be paying for the arena, but like really it was all part of the same deal. It's all part of the same package. So the whole idea here was to, uh, you know, pry voters away from, you know, you know, who who had been thinking about voting for the NDP to basically position this as. And Daniel Smith was actually pretty blunt. She actually said this, that, you know, the, this deal is only going to go through if the UCP gets reelected on, on May 29th. It was very brazen and very cynical, um, but she was really clear about what about what this what this was about. Um, so that's a big deal in Calgary because that's been an issue. The Saddle Dome is an old building, and this has been an issue in in Calgary for a, for a lo- for a long time. There's a lot of a lot of Calgarians. Um, are grumpy about the Saddle Dome because it's a smaller venue. So a lot of times when the big music concerts move through uh, Canada, they'll go like Vancouver, Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal, but they'll skip over Calgary because the Saddle Dome isn't really built for big concerts. Whereas Edmonton has a brand brand new arena uh, that our city paid a big portion for um, a few years ago. So there was kind of there was the the thing that had the, the the funding announcement in Calgary, and then there was the you know the people the Oilers fans in Edmonton who were like, well, you know, we province refused to pay for our arena, and Daniel Smith was opposition leader at the time, and actually said, you know, the province didn't didn't have any role in funding a uh, an arena. So that was kind of how the campaign started. Uh, it was kind of the first the UCP's first big uh, their first big announcement to the campaign and and I haven't really heard much talk of it since and it's kind of I mean it's a big announcement and it's a lot of money and it's something that uh, that it was meant to appeal to a lot of Calgarians. Um but I haven't really seen I haven't really seen any polling around it and I haven't really seen um I haven't really heard much about it since. So, you know, we'll We'll see if the UCP kind of pulls this out in the in the final weeks of the campaign, basically saying that you know the NDP aren't going to do the same thing that we're going to do and, and fulfill this promise. Yeah, I I remember seeing those stories and some chatter around it when it came out, and 
it's completely died since then, which makes me wonder if they either just don't know what they're doing at the UCP or if they got, you know, internal polling or other feedback that just went, no, actually, people don't care. And they saw that this was the cynical ploy that you told them it is. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple things that have happened in the campaign. I mean, more um, more controversial comments from Danielle Smith have come out. Um, we've had some controversial comments from UCB candidates that have got some attention. Um, and then the wildfires have uh, have really taken uh, taken the attention away from a, from a lot of Albertans away from the election campaign um, over the past few days. So. Um, they might be waiting to to you know reannounce it or you know start running a lot of digital ads about it going into the last week of the campaign. Um, but it seemed like a a big announcement. I mean, it was a big announcement not to you know it was big enough that it was weird that they're not talking about it still. Let's come back to the wildfires then. Like, how is that playing out in the campaign? Like, my initial gut reaction is there's kind of two ways that it'll get talked about if it does is. First, the immediacy of, you know, disaster relief and what's the government going to do to support people and what should they be doing? And second is the long-term question of climate change and the policies around that. And obviously, they're not going to jump right to that because it looks cynical, but that's going to be something that I assume some people will at least be starting to think about. No one's talking about climate change. (laughs) No, no, no I'm serious. Right. Like no one, no, no one's talking about climate change in this. I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, there are people who talk about climate change, but no, like in terms of the the main discourse that's happening in the province around the wildfires, it's it's not really something that that at least I can see that people are really talking about. Um, I mean, we've had more and more extreme weather in this province. We have big fires every year. We have hot summers like we've never had before. We have cold winters like we haven't had in decades. Um, but no one's really talking about climate change in this province as like, a, at least none of the political leaders are really talking about talking about climate change, except for the Green Party. But they have a limited audience and their microphone isn't necessarily as, or their megaphone is only reaches only reaches so far. Um, but in, in terms of how the, the wildfires have impacted the campaign, um, starting on the weekend, um, you know, Danielle Smith announced she had was temporarily suspending her her campaign. Um, uh, she held a press conference. She kind of took off her UCP leader hat and put her put her premier hat back on and raced up to Edmonton um, and uh, and uh, to go to the emergency response center and to go visit some of the uh, the wildfire uh, sites. Um, Rachel Notley offered her assistance. Rachel Notley was premier of Alberta during the big Fort McMurray fire back in 2016, where they had to evacuate 80, almost 90,000 people from Fort McMurray. It was a huge evacuation, uh, during that, that wildfire, which actually got into the, into the, uh, the municipality of, of Fort McMurray and, and destroyed a lot of houses. Um, uh, so they met and there was kind of this weird social media, Notley posted photos of the meeting and Smith posted photos of them meeting in the premier's office, but they're both from different angles. So like Smith's photos didn't show Notley's face and Notley's photos focused on Notley. And anyway, um, but she offered, you know, she offered her advice and Smith took it and it would have looked bad if they had done anything else at that point. Um there's six or seven campaigns, I think six six campaigns, six ridings where the UCP and the NDP campaigns have temporarily suspended their campaigning because of the wildfires. Uh, and that makes, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. There's, you know, the election campaign is not going to be on the top of mind of a lot of people in these ridings. I mean, the Drayton Valley, which is a town of 7,200 people just uh, west of it, a little bit southwest of uh, of Edmonton was evacuated, and I don't think it's been people are allowed back in yet. I think just today uh, they started allowing people back into Evansburg. I think they lifted the state of emergency. Um, but there's you know there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of First Nations communities where the fire is hit, and the people have been evacuated, and um, hospital full hospitals that have been evacuated in some of these communities, and as well. So, um, you know how the whether that the wildfires continue i mean we're kind of everybody's all kind of praying for rain at this point but you know we're going to get 30 we're supposed to get 30 degree weather coming up um uh this weekend so it's going to be hot it's going to be windy um you know hopefully the weather turns but you know the wildfires in some cases might not you know might get worse or might might continue i'm just going to let my cat out of the room and then sure <laughs> Well, from 
the wildfires then, I think the one last issue that I'll ask you about is, you know, one of those evergreen or perennial issues in Alberta is uh, hatred for Ottawa and why it's all Justin Trudeau's fault. I think I saw in your blog, one of the things we might expect the UCP to try to paint is a Trudeau-Notley-Singh uh, alliance. The yeah. Trudeau-Notley alliance was focused on in 2015 when she was premier. Uh, Jagmeet Singh is in there now because of the supply and confidence agreement. Meanwhile, Notley as premier did take a very... A, or a somewhat aggressive role in many ways of trying to push through pipelines and trying to get uh, what she could for Alberta. It's the classic Western premier thing. Uh, I looked back at some of BC's history and for a long time, it was battles with Ottawa here just as much as they were in Alberta. And we've been slightly less uh, at loggerheads in recent years. How do you see that tension? Like is Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh the unofficial like opposition in Alberta in many ways. Well, I mean, there's a, there's always an audience in Alberta and I mean, most Western provinces for, you know, for bashing the feds, for, for going <laughs> after the feds. J Justin Trudeau is not a particularly popular figure here in Alberta. Um, I mean, Jagmeet Singh, I mean, I, the NDP have two seats federally in Edmonton, outside of Edmonton, you know, the federal and NDP, not so much, but um uh, you know the the UCP J Jason Kenny used that uh, used the that talking point quite a bit. He'd all he would refer to the Trudeau Notley Singh alliance, trying to tie Rachel Notley to the unpopularity of Justin Trudeau, and trying to tie the you know through the federal NDP saying that you know while Jugmeet Singh is actually Rachel Notley's boss, you'll hear a lot of conservatives in Alberta use that talking point. I mean. Jagmeet Singh is not Rachel Notley's boss. That's not how politics works. Um, even even with the parties tied together, that's not how they work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there are some fundamental differences between the federal, you know, the the some of the positions that the federal NDP and the and the Alberta NDP take, and it's probably one of the reasons why. I mean, it is one of the reasons why the NDP. Those differences are one of the reasons why the NDP in Alberta provincially have been so successful. Um, yeah, I mean, there there is an audience for for. Going after the feds is something historically we've seen. Ralph Klein did it. Peter Lougheed did it. Um, going back all the way, William Aberhart, social credit first social credit premier of Alberta, way back in the 1930s, did it. Um, but I do wonder, and I've you know I've heard some some comments from some pollsters um, that you know Albertans they don't necessarily like Justin Trudeau. Um, you know, they want uh, political leaders who can stand up for Alberta, but they don't necessarily want to be fighting with Ottawa all the time. Uh, and I think there's a, you can kind of go overboard with it. And some, there's some, there's an audience in Alberta for, for that in Alberta who will, you know, anything F Trudeau fighting Trudeau like that, that fills their bucket and that's, you know, that's their identity. Um, but, uh, I think for a broader group of Albertans, I think that, you know, they want a premier who will stand up for Alberta, who will get a good deal for Alberta, but won't necessarily be fighting over every single little bickering little point. Um, so I think that, you know, for first, for a lot of UCP voters that that message works. Um, but I think for a broader audience, um, you know, Albertans are thinking about healthcare, they're thinking about affordability, you know, grocery bills, utility bills, they're thinking about the education system, they're thinking about jobs. They're not as, you know, hatred for Justin Trudeau isn't, you know, really on the top of their list. They may not like the guy and they're probably going to vote federal conservative, but there are a lot of federal conservative voters in Alberta who voted NDP in the last election and are considering voting NDP this time um, provincially because of, uh, or especially in Calgary. So there's a lot of blue. I mean, this is something I think you're familiar with in British Columbia, the kind of orange-blue vote, uh, you know, provincially, federally, and switching between orange and blue. And, you know, we we see a lot of that in Alberta. We have federal liberal voters in this province, actually. Oh, and well, we, we, <laughs> that makes it a little we, bit easier for the NDP here to compete. There's a, there's two federal liberal seats here uh, here, in, here in Alberta. We have Edmonton Centre and uh, one of the Calgary, Calgary Skyview. Um, but uh, provincially, the liberals have no real... Yeah. presence at the moment. Actually, the former provincial liberal leader, David Swan, over the weekend, uh, um, over the earlier this week, actually put out a tweet endorsing Rachel Notley. So, 
But then again, they, they, there's hey, the, another... F- the former BC Green leader endorsed the NDP in the last race. Oh, there so. you go. Well, I was going to say, that there's also another former Liberal leader, Alberta Liberal leader, who's running for the as a UCP candidate. So, you know, they've kind of split, <laughs> split into different paths. So, post May 29th, Election Day, I didn't even say what day Election Day was yet. Um, but May 29th, we're going to see either Premier Notley again or Premier Smith again. How do you think that, you know, shifts the discourse in Alberta. Like, where are things going from here? We mentioned Take Back Alberta and the movement they built, which is sizable and effective. Uh, it's clearly not going to go away. So that anger is going to be there. Um, it, like, what the, we have two scenarios going forward. Which one means uh, Albertans cool off a little? Oh, I think if the NDP wins... I mean, in terms of stability for government, I think I think that I don't necessarily think politics will cool off in Alberta because I, don't, I think these you know a lot of these group conservative groups and and COVID protest groups are still going to be around and they're really not going to be happy if the NDP forms government. But if the NDP forms government, the government the governing party will not have the same type of internal challenges as the UCP will have if it forms government. If the UCP forms government, which, you know, right now, I think the UCP has an edge to form government. They have 60-some seats going into this election. They can afford to lose 20 seats and still form government. Um, and they probably have an edge in, in a lot of Calgary ridings. Uh, it's not a sure thing, um, but, but you know, they're, they're, it's, 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 uh, it's hotly contested. Um, but there's going to be a lot of um, trying to figure out internally – um, and in the UCP, what exactly does the UCP stand for? How does this coalition stay together and not totally blow up? Because there are a lot of moderate conservatives who, you know, fiscal conservative types who don't really want anything to do with the kind of uh, politics that groups like the Take Back Alberta group, um, kind of more populist groups, the, they don't really want anything to do with the pol- that, that kind of politics. And I guess the question is, can Daniel Smith hold together that coalition and, uh, you know, I think that if the UCP wins, the eight months preceding or, or following the election are going to be very interesting to watch because it's not guaranteed that, you know, that we're going to have the same premier eight months from now. Uh, the, you know, the, the UCP coalition is is very chaotic and very unstable right now. Um, and it almost becomes more unstable when they form government. When they they form opposition, they're you know they're united to defeat the to defeat the NDP. But when they form government, there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of idle hands. And, I was going to uh, say Ed, Ed Stelmack was the last conservative premier to face more than like one election, right? No, no Ed Stelmack no. only did one. It was Ralph, Ralph Klein. R- Ralph <laughs> Klein, yeah. The last, the last. Well, actually, this the the the, the last premier. So Rachel Notley served one full term as premier from 2015 to 2019, election to election. And the last, the, the previous premier to do that, the only premier to do, the last premier to do that before Rachel Notley became premier was Ralph Klein. And that was his term from 2001 to 2004. So from 2004 to 2015, um, I think there were five or six conservative premiers in that period. So there was a lot of turnover and a lot of internal politics. I mean, a, a lot of it was, you know, internal politics and challenges within and within the conservative coalition that led to those turnovers. Um, but, uh, the, you know, there's no indication that the UCP internally is going to be any more stable after this election than, than they are right now. Well, I've kept you for almost a full hour now. Is there anything else you're watching or paying attention to in this election that you think we should, we didn't touch on and we should discuss just briefly before we sign off for the night? You know, I think we co- we I think we covered most of it. I mean, I, I alluded to it alluded to it a bit, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch if the NDP don't win this election. What happens with the NDP? Because Rachel under Rachel Notley, they've really been able to turn themselves into a political force in this province, and it's only been under Rachel Notley that they've really been in this position. And I mean, I think that she's a huge part of that. Re- the reason why they're why they're competitive and why they have so much credibility. Now they have, you know, they have candidates who are incredibly very credible they have mlas who have been cabinet ministers before and could be cabinet ministers again and that's a big difference in in this election is that in previous elections the opposition is usually has you know they've been in the opposition or they're new candidates we usually don't have cabinet former cabinet ministers in the opposition benches we don't usually have former cabinet ministers running again you know in the next election after in this election you actually have former cabinet ministers 
who, if the NDP wins, will be able to step in cabinet roles again and kind of pick up on day one. And that's something that's very unique for Alberta. And that's something that's not, you maybe not be unique, not unique in other, in a lot of other provinces where you change governments more often, but, but in Alberta, that's a really unique thing. And it's going to be interesting to see whether the, whether the mold of, you know, decades long conservative governments has been broken. I think it's been broken, but this election will, will, will really tell. Well, Dave, uh, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much again for your time. Maybe remind people one more time where your Substack is so that they sure. can follow your podcast, follow your writing, and keep up with the election. Absolutely. They can find me at uh, daveberta.substack.com. And uh, thank you so much, Ian, for uh, for inviting me on the show today. I'm very excited. I was very excited when you when you reached out, and it's been an absolute, pre- absolute pleasure to uh, to share Alberta politics with all your all your British Columbia listeners. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. And that has been Playtoast. Find links to everything we talked about at playtoast.ca. Support the show and get access to our Slack channel at patreon.com slash playtoast. Our intro music credit is Beautiful British Columbia by Serge Plotnikoff. Playtoast is a production of Legend Boot Media and editing services are provided by CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Thanks for listening.